Thank you again for that tonight, choir. Thank you very much. And welcome back again tonight for those that were here last night and for those that uh, are with us for the first time tonight. It's so good that you would come and uh, spend your evening with us tonight. And hopefully it will be something that you feel like was really worth your time because uh, I'm convinced God is worth our time. And, uh, and I hope that you always feel that way as well. Uh, I want to let you know real quick that uh, uh, Brother Connie has uh, evidently assigned to me an honorary doctorate because, because I, okay, because I, I do not have a, a doctorate degree or a doctoral degree. Uh, I may one day, but I don't right now. And uh, I, I do have three different degrees. I have two undergraduate degrees and a master's degree, but uh, no doctorate. So uh, uh, I told my wife that I was through with college or higher education, uh, at, at least until my boys got out of high school. And uh, maybe at that time I would go back and, and do some more. I don't know yet. But uh, uh, I've actually been in college my entire adult life since I came home from the Army, uh, minus about four or five years or so and, uh, and the last couple of years. But uh, most of my adult life has been in, in college. And, uh, and I also worked full-time jobs. I had a family, worked a full-time job, and was a full-time student uh, for pretty much my whole adult life. And so I'm done with school for now. I've done all I can do. And, and it was very taxing on my family, uh, but my wife, uh, she, was, she was tough and she hung in there. And uh, my boys were, were very respectful and uh, even at a young age, very understanding when uh, dad would be locked in the office. And uh, I could hear them out in the living room saying, uh, Mom, where's Dad? And she would say, he's studying. And, uh, and, and my oldest son, I can remember him saying, well, can I, can I go get him to play? And she would say, no, you need to let him study. And, uh, but i got to be honest with you, so many times, if I could hear that, I would always stop what I was doing. It didn't matter uh, how close I was to that deadline or how important that exam was. It didn't matter if I heard what he was saying, I would stop what I would do, was doing and, and go out and spend that time with him. And somehow, even through all of those years, I really don't know how, but somehow I still managed to coach all of my oldest son's baseball teams every year as well, in addition to all of that. So, uh, and, and I'm coaching again this year, but uh, I, I'm really starting to regret it right now. <laughs> it, it's tough to try and balance all of these things. It really is. But, uh, but again, it's good to be back with you tonight. And, uh, and I didn't say that to say that there's anything bad about my life. My life is... It's going pretty good right now. God is, uh, he's blessing me and my family. He's blessing our church. Some of our Meharan family are here again tonight. Thank you for coming, and it's always encouraging to, uh, to see you wherever I go. Uh, in, a, in addition to uh, Brother Connie's uh, honorary doctorate that he gave to me, uh, I, I just wanted to say thank you to Brother Terry. It's always a blessing to see you and your lovely wife, uh, wherever I go, and uh, serving in our churches as well. So thank you for that and all that you do. And I think Greta's going to be singing for us tonight, uh, no, Thursday night, Thursday night, I believe. Uh, now that reminds me of something too. And, and I want to ask for uh, uh, your forgiveness up front if I'm being a little too forward. However, uh, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me a little earlier in this and uh, uh, the song that Terry sang a few minutes ago. She was singing about the Word of God. And she had no idea that's what I'm preaching on tonight. 
is the Word of God. And so rather than singing the invitation song that is listed in our program for tonight, hymn 301, I I just asked Terry uh, a few moments ago if she would mind singing that song again for our invitation. And and that's going to do two things. One, you get to hear uh, in song, again, what we're going to talk about through the message, but also it will allow you, sometimes it's a good thing, I'm convinced, for people to sing and be uh, engaged in song during the invitation, but sometimes I think it's just as important that you just uh, be quiet yourself and you listen not only to a song or music that's being played, but that you can really, in those few minutes, just really hear God speak to you. And so tonight, that's my goal as we go into our invitation, is for Terry to sing that song again and for you to just listen. And when we get to that point, I I encourage you to just uh, just close your eyes and and just have your heads bowed. We'll stand through that, but but I just want to ask you to just, just bow your heads and just let the Lord speak to your heart while she's singing. And if you need to respond, I'll certainly be here tonight for that. But if that's okay with you all, I'd like for us to proceed tonight with that in mind, okay? And, and thank you, Terry, for agreeing to do that as well. And, and that's Terry Revel, not Terry Stockman, okay? All right? All right? So, uh, all right. If, if you have your Bible tonight, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah the prophet in the 66th chapter tonight, we're going to read... Uh, just a couple of verses, uh, the first four verses in Isaiah 66. And I would ask you again, if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 66, beginning in verse number 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. I could really just stop right there because when I really think about what the Lord is saying, I get chill bumps just in those few words. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but On this one, he's speaking about the person now, but on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Verse 3, he who kills a bull as if he slays a man, he who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck, he who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood, he who burns incense as if he is blessing an idol, just as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions, and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight. Would you pray with me? Father, as you described for us and we were reminded of last night as we spoke just so briefly about the Hebrew writer's understanding of the Word of God. 
Father, we know that there's power in Your Word. And, and Lord, we see it in the words of the prophet Isaiah here. Oh Lord, what a stark presentation this is. And what it must have been like to be on the receiving end of those words when they were first spoken by the prophet. But here it is again, even on a night like this, Father, these words are still penetrating. And they're polarizing. And Father, I pray that you would use these words and this message and this messenger. Father, as I submit myself to you and your authority in every way, Father, I want to be your lips and and your mouth here tonight. Father, let it be that your truth is spoken and let it be that our hearts hear and that we are altered to the degree that you are satisfied. That we are changed to the degree that heaven would rejoice. For Father, we want to honor you. And so we give ourselves to you with open ears and open hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want to begin tonight with a quote uh, from a a theologian named Packer, J.I. Packer. He says, Christians in revival, and that's what we're hoping for here. That's what we're praying for. You said it before I got here. You've been longing for revival. You see, churches don't uh, plan revival meetings unless they know they need something. And so you evidently believe that you need something else. You need to pursue God in a different way or to hear something different from God. J.I. Packer says Christians in revival are accordingly found living in God's presence, attending to His Word, feeling acute concern about sin and righteousness, rejoicing in the assurance of Christ's love and their own salvation, spontaneously in constant worship and tirelessly active in witness and service, fueling these activities by praise and prayer. I think that's a pretty good definition of what revival should be. What coming alive in Christ should look like for all of us. But there's a problem. Indeed, there's a problem. And perhaps it's here. I'm not sure of that. But certainly it exists in places, in pockets, if not in a multitude of places across America and the world alike where God's so-called churches or believers are gathered is that more and more people seem to be concerned about the outward things than they are about the inward things and the things of heaven and certainly those things of God. The people in congregations across our what some would say and some might argue is our great land there are those that they rush to be in the services of uh, congregational gatherings. And they work really hard to learn the songs. They work really hard at trying to dress the part. They work really hard at learning how to pray the right prayers. And yet they completely miss out what it means, on what it means to have a contrite spirit and to fear God and to tremble at His Word. Let me ask you to consider this tonight as we begin this. When was the last time you trembled because of what God's Word was speaking to you? We see the evidence of this lack of trembling and fear towards God's Word in the text that I just read from you. You see, what's happening is Isaiah is speaking to these individuals, these people that have gathered, is that uh, they've gotten really good at religion. You couldn't find any, any group that was more uh, steadfast in the rituals and the practices 
You see, in the Old Testament, worship to God weighed heavily on the sacrificial system. And they would bring their offerings, and, and that was what he was talking about with uh, breaking the dog's neck and the grain offerings and the sacrificing of the lambs and the incense. They would bring all of these types of offerings, and they would make their sacrifices to God. And day after day and week after week, they were very religious at this. They didn't miss it. They went through it all very carefully. They dotted the I's and they, they crossed the T's. They were meticulous in the way that they practiced their religion. And to be honest with you, they had mastered religion. They were masters at this. But it's most important for us now to see what these masters of religion missed through all that they were doing. They missed the reverence and the respect of God's Word. Verse 2, God said, I will esteem the one, not the one, who brings the offerings to me. I believe that's important for us to do because God speaks of that elsewhere in Scripture. But that's not what God's talking about here. We learn through this passage that the offerings that we bring, the sacrifices that we would make, that these are not the most important things to God. God is saying to us the most important things to Him to receive from us is that we would be humble and we would have a contrite spirit and we would tremble at His word. But in verse 4, look again what he says. But when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, there was nobody listening. That's, that's something pretty important there. When God speaks, we need to hear. When God calls, we need to listen and we need to act. We need to move. Church, what we have to establish in our hearts, what you need to establish in your heart, is that God's Word is to be the foundation for all of our worship. And I'm not just talking about worship on Sunday morning. I'm talking about daily worship. Because God is concerned about how you live life every single day. God is concerned about how you live life every hour of each day. And speaking of hours, you might know that there are 168 hours in every week. And for most church-going believers, they will spend approximately one to roughly four hours a week in a congregational-type setting, church services, we would call them. And so if that's true for them or if it's true for you, what that means is that there's 164 to 167 out of those 168 hours that you will be outside of congregational worship settings. What that also means is that there's 164 to 167 hours that God is still concerned about your involvement in making His Son known as great. It means that God has all of these 164 or more hours that He's still concerned about whether or not you are listening to Him when He speaks. And He is still watching for all of these hours over your life, just awaiting to see if there's an eagerness on your part to hear Him speak to you. And God, in these 164 to 167 hours, He is still expecting you to abide by His Word. And to love His Word. You see, God has a claim on every single hour of your life, not just those one to four hours that you might spend in a congregational setting each week. And God is greatly interested in how you respond to His Word. Do you know why? 
Because how you respond to God's word is how you respond to God himself. Because God's word is God's. I want to take you for just a minute tonight. I want to walk with you, and we'll try to do this briefly. I want us to walk through how the psalmist responds to God's word. Beginning in Psalm 56, verse 4, he says, In God, whose word I praise, I trust in God. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Did you catch what he said? He did not say, I praise God. The psalmist said, I praise God's word. The psalmist here is saying he worships the word of God. Why? Because the word of God, again, is synonymous with God. Because it is God's word. Psalm 119, that familiar passage, we touched on a a little bit of it last night. This is a chapter that speaks about the great riches of what it means for us to learn the Word of God, what it means for us to meditate and, again, apply, read and digest and apply the Word of God to our lives. It's, it's where we get that, that wonderful pledge to the Bible. And, and again, we, we did hit on this part last night where the psalmist said, I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path that I might not sin against God. But in Psalm 119 and verse 48, the psalmist goes on to say this. He says, I lift up my hands. Now listen to this. To your commands. Psalmist here, he doesn't say, I lift up my hands to you, God. He says, I lift up my hands. That's an act of praise. I lift up my hands to your commands. And then he says this, which I love. He doesn't say here, God, I just love you. He says, God, I love your commands. He's saying, God, I love your words. And then he says, I meditate on your decrees all day long. So the psalmist says, I'm raising my hands to praise God for his law. The restrictions you put on me, the the things that you want to keep me from, that I want to do, I'm praising you for that, God. Thanking you for your word. In Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your word. And again, I love to meditate on it. All day long. Let me give you just a little glimpse of what it looks like for me when I go to study God's Word. I sit down at my desk and and I I close my Bible. And and there it is, sitting in front of me on the desk. And I look at the Bible. And I just start to think to myself, Oh, this is going to be good. Because I know when I open that Word of God and I start to read and I start to study... My God is going to speak to me. We're going to enter a time of conversation. And and actually, I may not have much to say. I probably won't. Because I want to be very careful to hear what God would say to me through my time in His Word. But friends, uh, I wonder about you. When's the last time you, you opened God's Word, whether it was in your lap or whether it was on a desk, you opened God's Word and, and you were reading, you were studying, and... And God just hits you with something that's amazing and beautiful and inspiring, which is what He does through His Word. But He also challenges and He also chastises. I'm not trying to hide that from you. God's going to do all of those things to you when you dig into His Word. But when's the last time you opened God's Word and you began to read, you began to study, and you just said, thank you, God, for this Word. Thank you. Thank you. The psalmist said, I love the Word of God. 
But is that how you describe the Word of God? Would, would you characterize your relationship with God's Word as a relationship of love? As I studied this passage again, I was reminded of something that I heard from a missionary some years ago. And, and this has always stuck with me, and it, was, uh, it hit me really hard. And, and, and to be honest with you, I hope it hits you hard tonight too. But this missionary said, What if my Bible became illegal? What would I do? What if the Bible were taken from me? What would I do? And you say, oh, well, that, that doesn't apply here. You know, we, uh, I don't know how many I have. I probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 Bibles on a shelf in my office. And, and those are just my Bibles. That doesn't include all the gift Bibles I have. Don't ask me why I have so many Bibles. I'm not so sure myself. But nonetheless, I have them. But what if they were taken? I really, I really wonder that. What if, and, and you probably do too. You probably have multiple copies of God's Word in your home. And, and you know, in our land, at least for now, we, we know that we can have as many as we want. We can go to any number of bookstores and, and we can buy more if we want. We've got easy access. We don't even have to go to the store. We just open up the website and we click a button and uh, we give them our credit card and bam, you know, be there in a day or two. Easy access. But what if it wasn't so because it's not so in some parts of the world? In fact, in some parts of the world, it is illegal for you to have a Bible. In North Korea, one of the penalties for having a Bible in your possession is, did you know this? Death. There's also another consequence or a penalty that you might endure, though. You might not get the death penalty if you're found in possession of one. But if not, what you might get is imprisonment. But get this. Not just your imprisonment. You may be the one that possessed that Bible, but you will not be the only one who's imprisoned. There will be three generations of your family that will be imprisoned because you had a copy of God's Word. But there are some in settings like that that they have a copy of God's Word because they love God's Word and they're willing to accept those penalties if it's found out that they have God's Word. But what about you? Is your relationship with God's Word one that is such a a deep and profound love that you would be willing to take that risk? Or if it were illegal, would you be willing to just hand your Bible over and say, okay, take it away? How different would your life be if you did not have a Bible in your possession? Here's the one that hit me hard about this question. Would your life be any different if you did not have the Bible? What difference would it make? In Psalm 138, verse 2, the psalmist says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things. Listen, the psalmist says that there's two things that God's exalted above all things. Here it is. The two things that God has exalted above all things. For you have exalted above all things your name, that's number one, and your word. Two things that God has exalted, raised up above everything else in all of creation, all of the known world, 
His own name and His word. So friends, the point is that God's word must be the foundation of all of your worship. But it needs to be more than that. It doesn't stop there. The scripture also points us to the fact that God's word should be the foundation of everything else that we do too. Not just our worship, our relationship with God, but everything else that we do. It's very interesting to me that when you look throughout history that you find that wherever there was a great revival, wherever there were great awakenings, and you've probably heard some of those stories or maybe, maybe read some of those about, uh, even in America, some, some great awakenings in uh, not too long of history past. But there's a common denominator in every great revival or every great awakening. Those times when the Holy Spirit of God just, just came and did unexplainable things. Unimaginable things. Changing the lives of, of whole communities. At one time, thousands and thousands of people surrendering their lives to Christ. Kind of like the day at Pentecost. It happened even right here in America. In some of the great awakenings and some of the great revivals. But what's the uniting factor in all of this? What's the common denominator? It has always been when people are truly united in prayer and when people have a renewed sense of awe about God's Word. Great revivals and great awakenings never happen without those two factors being paramount. Strong, faithful, desiring prayer of God's movement and a renewed sense of awe, respect, reverence, for God's Word. What is it about God's Word that we should be in awe of? What is it about God's Word that should make us tremble, though, as Isaiah says? I think we only have to open up the Bible to the first page, first chapter in Genesis to know. Where out of the mouth of God, the words that were spoken of God created the stars, All of creation that we know. The sun, the moon, the planets. Created the waters. Created the land. Created the creatures of the water. Created the creatures of the land. And then out of God's mouth, as His words were spoken, there was man who was created in His own image. The likeness of Christ. Isn't that enough? For you to tremble at God's word. To be in awe and total reverence of God's word. Even more than that though, again as the Hebrew writer so wonderfully put it, that God's word is more lethal than the greatest weapon of war. Hebrews 4.12 But Paul has more to say about God's word when he's talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says God's word is good for us because God's word is, is rebuking. It's correcting it is for training us in righteousness. You see, you don't just acquire all righteousness, uh, knowledge about what righteousness is all by yourself. God's Word guides you through the process. God helps us. He teaches us through His Word. But God's Word does so much more too. The Bible says that we will be judged by God's Word. In John chapter 12, verse 48 Jesus says, who, He who rejects me 
and does not receive my words. There it is. He has which judges him already. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So God will judge us by his word. But he's also going to condemn by his word. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, I will declare on that day, he's talking about that day of judgment, standing before the Lord, Matthew 7, verse 21, I will say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity or lawlessness or unrighteousness, because I never knew you. You may know the name of Jesus, you may know a lot about Jesus, you may know a lot about His Word, but unless you have surrendered and abide in Him, Jesus says, you do not know me the way you think you know me, and I certainly don't know you the way you would like for me to know you, because you've chosen something other than me to worship and follow with your life. So Jesus will condemn by his word, but he's also going to reward by his word. It's not all bad news. In fact, there's some really, really good news. There's something about God's word to get super, super excited about. And that is that you'll be rewarded by his word as well. Matthew 25, 23 is where Jesus will say to those who have been faithful, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little things I've given you. Now enter into the joy of your Lord because I'm going to make you ruler over many things. That's good news. I hope you can see that there are untold numbers of reasons why we should be in reverence to God's Word. Nehemiah gives us an amazing picture of people who just could not get enough of God's Word. These people were humble and they were eager for God to speak to them. And this happened, although Nehemiah records it, it was happening in Ezra's day. You see, the people gathered around. The Bible says they began gathering in the early morning. And Ezra opened up the Word of God, and he began to read from God's Word to these people. And they started in the morning time, and get this, they went to the noon time. Can you imagine? I, I really don't think we can imagine. For a lot of us, we can't, we can't comprehend the idea of maybe more than an hour being in a congregational setting. We've just become so accustomed to that. It's just sort of been ingrained in us. But, but these people, and, and get this, Ezra wasn't telling them any jokes to try and keep them, you know, their minds engaged. He wasn't telling them any, any stories to try and draw them in. All he was doing was reading God's Word. You know what a lot of people in churches today would say, if that's all we're going to do is just read the Word of God? Well, that's boring. I, could, I couldn't sit through that. You can if you love God's Word. You can if you're in love with the God who created you and gave that Word for you, for your benefit, for His glory to be known in your life. And get this, these people that gathered in the morning and they listened to this Word of God being read until noontime, they didn't have padded pews or padded chairs. They didn't have climate-controlled rooms. They were outside in the elements. They might have had a rock to lean against, I'm not sure. But that would have been the best they probably had, other than just sitting on the ground. And I mentioned to you last night, my wife and I were recently in Israel, and uh, uh, there's not a lot of plush grass in Israel in that area. 
So uh, if they did just sit on the ground, they were probably sitting on a rock on the ground, stone ground anyway. Very, very rocky region. But that wasn't it either. They didn't just, they didn't just listen. The Bible says that when they heard the word of God read, that it did something to them. And they got down on their knees and they put their face to the ground and they cried out to God in praise, but also in repentance. You see, these people wept over their sin. The Bible tells us Jesus said it as he taught on the Beatitudes, the Mount of the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus wasn't talking about those who have passed away, those who are grieving because uh, some friend or loved one has passed away when he said, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus was talking about their sin against God. Jesus was talking about those people who mourn because of their sin against God. Those are the people that he blesses, he says. And that's what these people did when they heard the word of God read. They wept over their sin. What would happen if the church today responded to the Word of God the way that the people responded to Ezra as he read the Word of God? I believe the church today would look totally different than what we see. We wouldn't recognize the church today if we responded, if we loved God's Word this kind of way. I believe revival would truly take root. I believe we would see the great awakenings happening all over again. I don't think there'd be as much pain in our marriages as what we have. I don't believe that we would be so full of sorrow because our children are so wayward. Because not as many of our children would be so far wayward if we really loved the Word of God in our homes and we really cared to teach the children in our homes the Word of God and not just try to rely on maybe them getting enough in Sunday school that one hour a week again. And you know if you've got an hour in Sunday school, you don't have an hour in God's Word you got 10 minutes of conversation and discussion. you got 10 minutes of talking about things you want to pray about. you got a minute or two of prayer. And then you've got some other announcements you got to deal with. And then after about 30 or 40 minutes, you get a 15 or 20 minute uh, time in God's Word. And, and that's if you're lucky enough not to have a person that tries to control the conversation in the room and make everything about them, because that happens too. So, so don't think for a moment that your children or you, for that matter, are going to get all you need in God's Word in that little bit of time in a Sunday school class or even in a, in a, a 30 or 40-minute message that a preacher would preach. You've got to take some responsibility. Again, that's more of what we talked about last night. God's already given you everything you need to grow, but now you, it's your job to make every effort to put that growth to task, and it'll happen. You've got to put forth effort, too. I believe if the church responded today as the people responded to the Word of God, as Ezra again taught to them, that witnessing for the sake of Christ would be our first nature. It wouldn't be a second nature or a third nature. And as it is for some Christians today, it's an unknown nature. They don't know what it is to witness for Christ. But if we responded to God's Word the way that these people did, witnessing for Christ would be our first nature. We would not deny God that privilege in our lives for us to be His vessel, His means in which to carry the gospel to others that we would meet along the way. And I believe that if the church responded similarly to that of the people in Ezra's day, that people that pass by our churches 
would not just see a building where people gather one or two times a week, but they would see a representation of the Spirit of God and the love of God at work in their community, really loving and caring for people outside of these walls. Another astounding reason for us to revere and respect God's Word, tremble at His Word, is because it's by the Word of God that we are saved. It's the spoken Word of God that brings salvation. And it's by which we also continue to grow, to mature. We move from the milk to the meat. It's by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing, what? By the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 10, God's Word is more precious than gold. Gold, at the time of the psalmist's writing, gold was the most valuable commodity in all the world, in known existence. Today, someone might argue that it's, uh, it's platinum. There's actually uh, another element that has become known as uh, the most valuable element ever known throughout the history of the world, and that's an element that was attained a few years ago from an asteroid. Its value is, is astronomical. But God's Word is more valuable than all of that. That's God's point, and that's the psalmist's point. The psalmist agrees with God, and the psalmist wants us to agree with God, and certainly God wants us to agree with Him too, that His Word's more valuable than your greatest possession. Maybe your greatest possession is your spouse or your child. Don't get me wrong, I love my wife. This May will be 17 years we've been married. This September will be 20 years we've been together. I love my wife. And I've got a 13-year-old, almost 14, and a 6-year-old that's almost 7, and I love my boys. You can believe I'd do anything I could to protect them, to help them. But they all know that God's Word is first. And, and I want God's Word to be first in their lives, not me. Even for my wife. more valuable than precious gold that's what god's word is i've read that in some muslim countries uh, particularly that of afghanistan that when children become of reading age when they begin reading usually uh, they they take off in reading kind of like our kids about uh, age three they might start by four they're they're really starting to advance a little bit more and by five and six you know they're reading pretty good by that point and in a lot of cases, you know, it is different for every child. But in a lot of cases, by the time children are five and six years old, they're, they're starting to read fairly well. Well, in, in these types of countries, like that of Afghanistan, they are not only teaching their kids to read, but specifically they're teaching them to read their holy book, the Muslim holy book, which is called the Koran. And, and, and these kids, they are diligent. They are faithful in their reading. But here's the thing, too. They're not just reading. They're memorizing. They're learning. And by the time many of these kids are 13 and 14, we're not even talking about young adulthood yet, 13 and 14-year-olds have memorized much, if not most, of their holy book. Now, if, 
these people are so committed to learning the words of a false god, what does that say about you and I and the way that we are treating the words of the one true God in our lives? I have a dear friend, a great brother in Christ. He and I were having a conversation one day. We were talking about football and um, this, uh, this fellow, he just started naming off some players on his favorite team. And next thing I knew, he had named the whole starting lineup, defensively, offensively, and special teams. He had named all the players on these starting lineups, but he didn't just name the players. He started telling me about their statistics, and he didn't have anything in front of him. And, and I was kind of impressed that he had such a profound knowledge of this particular ball team. And it's not just that ball team, it's other ball teams he knew about too. It's just that happened to be his favorite one he was talking to me about. And, and I was a little bit mesmerized by this. You know, I know a few players here and there, and I know a few stats here and there, but, uh, but I don't know this kind of stuff. And so this guy, he just sort of blew me away. But then it hit me also. This is a brother in Christ. I believe he's a strong man in Christ. At least the evidence in his life points to that. He's certainly a moral man. Of course, I don't know all that's in his heart, but the evidence that's seen in his life is, is pretty good stuff. He's very faithful in his church, and he's hardworking in his church, and people uh, respect him a great deal. But then after he had shared all this information with me, by the way, in, uh, in football, a defensive starting lineup and an offensive starting lineup and a special team starting lineup, you're talking about a neighborhood you know, you're getting up to 25 and 30 players now that this guy knows they're all their names and stats on many of them. And I told him how impressed I was with that. But then I hit him with this, and I wasn't trying to hurt his feelings. Uh, this was as much for me as it was for him. But I said, wow, you know all these players. Again, 25 or 30 of them but could you name the 12 disciples of Jesus? And he said, sure I can. And I didn't ask him to, but he started trying to name them. I would have just taken him at his word. But then he started trying to name them, and after four, he stopped. He said, you know, I really don't. The greatest team that ever existed, anything and anywhere, and he didn't know much about them. Now, don't misunderstand me. And by the way, uh, we, we ended the conversation. We left that day. Uh, just a few days later, I saw him again. And he said, hey, John, I've got something for you. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, let me tell you about the 12 disciples. <laughs> and he knew them. He got it. Now, in full disclosure, he asked me if I knew them too. And I said, sure I do. And I started naming them. And I got to the 10th and then the 11th. And I couldn't come up with the 12th. It was Thaddeus. I forgot Thaddeus. I couldn't remember. Did you know Thaddeus was even a disciple? Yeah, it's true. But I forgot about Thaddeus. But he told me those disciples. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. My point is not that you memorize the 12 disciples my point is not that you memorize the, the 39 books of the Old Testament or the 27 books of the New Testament. 
It's not that at all. Although that would be great if you did. I don't think it's impossible either. There's people that's done it. I'm not one of them either, though. And as great as that would be, again, that's not the point. My point is simply this, that you would desire to engage the Word of God. That you would desire to spend time in the Word of God. That you would put the Word of God before all of your other worldly concerns and all of your worldly pleasures. And that you would find yourself being most filled, most satisfied when you're spending time with God in His Word. Where is your time and your passions devoted? One of the common things that I often hear from people when it comes to actually reading or studying God's Word is I don't have time. But those same people that would say to me they don't have time are the same people who would spend three hours at a ball game. They'd spend two or three hours at a recital. They would spend two or three hours at a concert. And not only would they do that, they would spend two hours driving to get there. But they think they don't have time to get into what should be the most valuable and the most beloved thing that you should have in this world. So is that true for you? Is the Word of God the most valuable possession in your, not just your home, but in your life? If it is, God says He will esteem you. It means raise you up. He will bless you if you love His Word and you write it on your heart. God will esteem you when you live humbly before Him. And when you live meekly and you tremble at His Word. God loves to see that in His children. And God will give you favor. Don't you want the favor of God on your life? There it is. This is how you receive it. But verse 4, God said, and I called. Remember that? And nobody listened. And He said, and they delighted in their own abominations. And so God says, I gave them over to their delusions. And I gave them over to their worldly fears. I was ter- sharing this with somebody just a few days ago. Uh, God, our Father, says that those who are believers, true believers in Him, should fear nothing in this world. Not Satan, not demons, not principalities, nothing. Because there's none of those things that can take you out of God's hand once you're in God's hand. That's Romans chapter 8. But there is one thing that God says that we should fear. And that's God. God says, don't you worry about anything else in this world. You don't have to be afraid of anything. But you should be afraid of me. That's what fear is, being afraid. Now, God doesn't tell us that just to keep us walking in line. God tells us that to keep us from getting hurt. God tells us that because He does love you. And He wants something better for you than you can even imagine. 
These worldly pleasures that you might be seeking, these things are going to be damaging to you in the long run if you put them in front of God. I'm not saying all of these hobbies or sports and things are bad things. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that if you put them before the Lord, they are terrible things. So church, if, if you're going to have revival, if, if this is really going to take root and change is really going to happen here, you've got to ask yourself, are you listening to God? Are you obeying His Word? Is the Word of God the foundation of all of your worship or are you trying to master religion on your own? And is the Word of God the foundation of everything else that you do in all this world or would you even notice if your Bible was gone? You can either master religion or you can follow the master. These are two different things. You see, mastering religion is about knowledge and outward things. Things that will pass away, these things will perish. But following the master is about eternal things. It's about being on the inside with the Lord and abiding in Him. Because following the master is about humility. It's about surrender and sacrifice. It's about reverence and it's about Again, the fear of God and walking with Him to make disciples in this world as you're passing through. And friends, I pray that you will choose to follow the Master. And I want to ask Terry now if she would just make her way. But before she does sing, again, I want to remind you, I just want you to stand as she sings. And I'd like for you to just bow your head. You don't have to look at her and watch her. You don't have to look around and look at other people. Don't watch other people. You just take some time with you and the Lord, standing with your head bowed. And if you need to step out, and, and, and if you need to come tonight and say, John, would you pray with me tonight? Because God's really convicted me about something regarding me and His Word. I've been neglecting His Word, perhaps. And, and I just want to confess that. And, and I just want God to, to wash me clean. Because tonight I'm, I'm renewing my commitment. I thought I was walking faithful with Him, but I didn't realize how subtly my life was just slipping farther and farther away from God's Word. But if you realize that tonight, and you want God to just redeem that about you, come and rejoice with God tonight that He would forgive you and, and set you afresh and anew. Or as I said to you again last night, if God's dealing with you about something else or you have something else in your life that you want to bring to the Lord, this altar is open for you tonight. And perhaps most of all, if you realize tonight that you've never surrendered your life to Christ, that to this point none of this stuff even seems to have applied to you. It just didn't mean anything to you, but, but now you're seeing more clearly and you know that you need to give your life to Christ. If God is working on your heart in that way tonight, let tonight be the night of your salvation, the day that your life is changed forever, the moment that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life by which it can never be erased. And let us celebrate with you tonight. Would you stand as we uh, listen to Terry as she sings? And would you pray? And if you need to come and would like for me to pray, you come to me as well.
I'm finding myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard, but to hear what you would say. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise, and all that I need is to be with you and in the quiet. Hear your voice, word of God. When you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. I'm finding my The funny thing is, it's okay. Very nice. Thank you, Terry. Thanks so much for that. Well, I hope that uh, God has given you something to really think about in regard to your relationship with Him and uh, that you're not going to let it rest. You're not going to put this behind you, but you're going to take it and you're going to make a mantle out of this. That the Word of God will be supreme in your life and in your home. Because if it's not, no matter how much you want to believe it is, it will not be supreme even in this church. Because so goes the home, goes so goes the church. It's not the other way around. So bring the glory of God from your home into this place as you gather with other believers making sure that you're doing everything that you can. You're doing your part, whether others are or not. You need to make sure you're doing your part because you can't answer for anybody else. And you're certainly not accountable for anybody else, but you must answer for you, and you will be accountable for you. So make sure God's given you the word. Now you take advantage of it. Amen. Let me pray for us. 
Father, as we make our way out of here tonight, we thank you for the supremacy of your word. And Father, we pray for forgiveness over us, that we would neglect your word. God, may there not be another day in our lives where we would neglect your word. But Father, may it be that we sacrifice time in other places so that we can be sure that we are in the word of God, listening to you speak and hoping that you will let it pour down like rain, just as Terry just saying. Father, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you again. Hey, before you go, how many of you uh, invited five people to come tonight? Uh, raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But I do want to encourage